Here comes Speed Racer, he's a demon on wheels. He's a demon and he's gonna be chasing after someone. Heart Takes Not Hot Takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is the composer covering of our theme song. He is a dude, but not from York. He is a returning part of the Matrix crew. And of course, he is a demon on wheels. He's a demon, and he's going to be chasing after someone. The someone in question that he's chasing after are the backseat drivers who panned the Wachowski siblings' 2008 live-action cinematic adaptation of the classic anime series Speed Racer. Everyone is wrong, but Peter Richards isn't. Thanks for coming on, Peter. Thanks for having me, Seth. Great to be here. Yay, returning. It's been a while since yeah. Matrix Times. Yeah, it would have been shorter, but it, it has taken me too long to record my cover of a Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> You know, we've we have to prioritize the important things in our lives, like it's true. Olivia Rodrigo covers. So uh, yeah. there, no one, no one is shaming you for uh, your delay in for showing up empty-handed. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We'll get through this together. So let's just launch into the background of the Speed Racer film. Speed Racer is a 2008 film by the Wachowski siblings, which was based on the popular manga and anime. It's actually the first movie the Wachowskis directed after the original Matrix trilogy. The film stars Emile Hirsch as the titular Speed Racer. For those unfamiliar, yes, that's the character's actual name. First name Speed, last name Racer. The film also features Christina Ricci as Speed's girlfriend Trixie. John Goodman and Susan Sarandon as Speed's parents, Pops Racer and Mom Racer. Again, these are actual character names. And Polly Litt as Speed's mischievous younger brother, Spritel. Matthew Fox plays the mysterious Racer X. And the film's foil is the corrupt Royalton Industries CEO, E.P. Aaron Royalton, who is portrayed by Roger Allman. And perhaps most importantly, Kenzie and Willie both take turns playing Spritel's chimpanzee pal, Chim Chim. The story follows Speed, who grows up in a racing family dreaming becoming a champion racer. Mom and Pops run Racer Motors, and his brother Rex Racer is a top driver before he is tragically lost in the deadly terrain-spanning Casa Cristo 5000 race when Speed was but a boy. Speed grows up to be a top-flight racer and catches the attention of Royalton Industries and its evil boss, Arnold Royalton. They offer Speed top-of-the-line support and luxury to join their team and further his racing career, but Speed rejects the offer, wanting to remain independent with his family. Royalton then reveals that actually all the racing series are fixed and declared he'll take down Speed and Racer Motors. That comes to fruition, kind of, when... Drivers force speed to crash, and lawsuits are filed against Racer Motors. But then Inspector Detector shows up, again, real character name, and gives Speed the chance to take down Royalton Motors. Racer Tajay Takoan says he has info to take down Royalton Industries and will share it with Speed and Inspector Detector if Speed and Racer X, who is aligned with Inspector Detector, join and help him win the Casa Cristo 5000. Over the top, speed racing ensues. 
Speed Racer was originally a serialized manga called Mak Go Go Go, written by Tatsuya Yoshida for the manga magazine Shohin Book in 1966. It was adapted into an anime series for Fuji TV, and all 52 episodes aired between April 1967 and March 1968. Dubbed episodes eventually aired on American television, giving the show a stateside fan base. Development of a Speed Racer movie actually began in 1992 via Warner Brothers and Joel Silver's production company. At that point, Henry Rollins was offered the role of Racer X, and Johnny Depp was cast to play Speed with Julian Temple set to direct. But Depp delays and budget concerns scrapped that version, at one point in 1997, Alfonso Cuarón was hired to direct a version of the film, and many screenwriters took a pass at a Speed Racer script, including J.J. Abrams. There was another version set to be directed by Hype Williams, and yet another spearheaded by Vince Vaughn, who would have played Racer X. But eventually, the Wachowskis came on board, hoping to reach an audience that their R-rated Matrix films could not Speed Racer was released on May 9th, 2008, and was a box office bomb. It grossed only $93.9 million against a $120 million budget. So, Peter, what was sort of your experience with the Speed Racer movie? I would say my experience with the Speed Racer movie started while wa- anticipating it while watching the um anime on Toonami. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it wasn't on Toonami, but it was on Cartoon Network. It was definitely on Cartoon Network for a while. I don't know if it was in the Toonami block, but I definitely yeah. was a fan of the show, you know, growing up. Like, I'm wearing a Speed Racer t-shirt right now, the old totally. anime version. And, um, yeah, it was a very fun, kind of silly show. I think a lot of for a lot of kids, it was sort of their introduction that or Godzilla films were their introduction to like Japanese culture or anime altogether. Yeah. Japanese culture, anime, and sort of the silliness of dubbing sometimes where it's just like, Oh, you know, you kind of like their mouths aren't matching. And I'm not used to that in a cartoon when I'm like, you know, seven or eight years old. Totally. I feel like there was a Dexter's lab episode where they parodied speed racer and that was sort of perhaps the door that really opened first. <laughs> the swinging door. And then you're like, oh, and now I see, you know, when you're. Oh, like the the way that everybody speaks really fast and right. puts exposition into every line. I was like, that's kind of a silly version of something that really registers as sincere in Speed Racer itself. Right. Speed Racer, the show itself is like very kind of straightforward. It's like. A little cheesy, but not in it's cheesy from being like too earnest, not from being like, yeah, it's not like winking and sly and or really even like that comedic. Like there's some comedic parts with Spritel and Chim Chim being like mischievous around speed, but kind of in the same way as the movie, like there's not there's not like comedy speeds, not cracking jokes or anything. No, it's totally serious for speed. And it's a. It's funny in the way that everything from the 60s is funny, mm-hmm. where it just is like too wordy. Marvel <laughs> comics are the same way from that same era. It's just like at least 
12 times more text than the contemporary comic book. Right. Same for the Speed Racer lines are 12 times longer than a similar cartoon these days. And also sort of the delivery was always, at least in the dubbed version, was always like so earnestly like overdramatic. It was always like, oh, Pops, no. Like just that like the power of the like quick lines and then but then sometimes it's like saying like eight of those quick lines in quick succession so it becomes this block of like almost shouted text but not meant to be that way all caps dialogue yeah for sure so yeah you were you saw that and you were anticipating this because you were also yeah for years i've thought like wow i can't they've got to make a movie out of that that's an absolute classic how could hollywood ignore this when it came out, I saw it in theaters and was so, I was kind of scathed at first by how different it was from The Matrix mm-hmm. because I expected there to be this kind of, at that point in like the early 2000s, there was a real extension of the 90s to need everything to be realistic in a gritty way. Right. And I'm in retrospect so glad that speed racer is not gritty that it is as kind of embarrassingly earnest as it's 1960s source material i'm honestly so surprised as well that it was one year of programming that was all speed racer yeah and also it came out like the anime was turned around like a year after the original manga was written so it's just like i mean if you watch the show it is a lot of like the backgrounds move by and not, you know, it's very like you can tell mm-hmm. the animation is done in a way to like cheap and get it out quick. And, you know, they like they'll like reuse certain parts of like races and things like that. But it is still like they kind of just turned around it so quick. And then we're like, here's 52 episodes over the course of a year and we're out. Yeah. Incredible. So for my personal experience, I was a fan of similarly like a fan of the show and I had not watched the movie until this podcast because I was so like when I first saw the things, I was excited by the idea of it. And then when I saw the trailers and saw all the negative reaction, I kind of was just like, well, I don't want it to like ruin the thing for me, you know, yeah. in, in sort of a way where I Keep like haven't. Pure. Yeah. In a way that I sort of haven't like seen the fourth Indiana Jones movie, even though it's just like, I know it's out there. But I know I'm not going to like think higher of Indiana Jones afterwards, but at least this film has a bit of a cult following, which nobody's like, actually, Indiana, I'm waiting. If anybody wants to come defend the fourth Indiana Jones movie, that might be what forces me to watch it. Honestly, it's pretty simple. I would say it's pretty compar- like comparison ready with the amount of canceled actors in both. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get to that for sure. So yeah, about the critical reception now, Speed Racer was not well-received by the critics. It sits at 41% on Rotten Tomatoes, 31% among top critics. And I will read a few of the reviews here. And like I did with The Matrix, I'm going to slightly edit a couple of them just to not uh, dead name Wachowskis. So keep that in mind. Thank you for that. Jim Emerson for RogerEbert.com hated the film. In his 1.5 star review, he kind of went on this whole run of diatribe about what exactly this film is. 
He wrote, Speed Racer is not a feature film in any conventional sense, although there is nothing so conventional in today's marketplace as a corporate product based on a campy vintage TV show that is developed for an extremely brief exhibition in multiplexes on its way to more appropriate platforms such as DVD and video games, which provide the principal justification for its manufacture in the first place. Neither is Speed Racer a commercial avant-garde film, though fans of the Wachowskis may wish to make such claims, unless you still consider laserim shows of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon to be cutting edge, lights, shapes, colors, motion, money. There's nothing terribly adventurous these days about Einsteinian montage treated as if it were William S. Burroughs' cut-up technique with digital clips randomly scrambled like pixelated confetti. Nor is it some kind of subversive commodity unless the outre strategy of pandering to lowbrow retro nostalgic crowd can be considered anything but business as usual in 2008. The faux naivete on display here right down to the imitation fruit flavored FDA food dye coloring is both shamelessly quaint and shamelessly cynical. And he concluded his review, similar kind of to what a lot of the criticisms of the Space Jam, if you go back and listen to that episode, were. Uh, He wrote, Speed Racer is a manufactured widget, a packaged commodity that capitalizes on an anthropomorphized cartoon of capitalist evil in order to sell itself and its ancillary products. Corporate partners in the venture include General Mills, McDonald's, Mattel, Tops, Lego, and Target, who have furnished no promotional consideration for mention in this review. So uh, he didn't like the movie, in case you uh, didn't pick up on well, that. Well, <laughs> he didn't like that movie. I hope that guy is enjoying movies now, and spoiler alert, I bet he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't like this movie, uh, which it's it's also funny because it's a lot of the reviews sort of focus on that sort of capitalist thing, but it's also like it wasn't like a huge like – it wasn't even marketed to the degree of like Space Jam in terms of like toys and all this kind of stuff. I think people just like read into that a little bit because it's not like, oh, there's so much or like episode one Star Wars. It's not like there's so much Speed Racer merch that came out of this movie. I don't feel like. No, and it really feels like they are holding the Wachowskis reputation hostage as a result of not enjoying the Matrix sequels. I mean, that comes up in a lot of the reviews, sort of like, oh, like the third Matrix wasn't good, and now they're still not good. <laughs> here's here's another negative review from Salon Stephanie Zacherik, who loathed the film, writing, Every once in a while, I'm hit with a movie whose existence I find impossible to comprehend. Who is this movie for? Did anyone involved take the time to have an actual thought, even just one, before investing time, care, and money into this thing? The Wachowski Speed Racer is so bereft of intelligence, style, and excitement that I can't figure out who in the world this is supposed to appeal to. Baby Boomers nostalgic for the old Japanimation cartoon on which it's based, parents who want to cultivate ADD in their kids, the picture is bankrupt in terms of everything but color, and even then the palette suggests not careful selections but no selection. There is not a single neon jelly bean or retro flower power color that isn't represented in Speed Racer. If a color is bright, it's in there. 
that's not visual boldness, it's cowardice. And then she concluded the review, Speed Racer is so arrogant about its so-called stylishness and energy that it feels like punishment, the equivalent of being trapped at a dinner party between two guys who feel compelled to inform you in long-winded detail how great they are. This isn't a picture filled with wonder and a sense of fun. It's so jaded and crass that I almost wonder if it's a highly unscientific experiment designed to gauge how little audiences will settle for these days. Manic and multicolored, Speed Racer is an excess of nothingness. They really got wordy in these reviews. Wow. Yeah, these, these people reviewing the movies are just like, I want to prove that I'm not a child and, and oh. as a result of not being a child who is this for it couldn't possibly be for children so that's it comes up there's a few themes that come up like over and over as you read like multiple reviews one is the amount of times people said like it's for like 10 year olds or 12 year olds like multiple people just like also settled on the age 12 years old as like this is who this is supposed to be for 12 year old boys i mean a lot of the criticism was sort of in that visual effects realm of it people feeling like it was too hollow like mick lasalle of san francisco chronicle said the proposition at work here is whether it's possible to make a movie almost entirely out of flash commotion and bursts of color the wachowskis don't come close to proving it but they try harder than anyone else has ever tried they take some empty source material, a visually stilted, emotionally stunted cartoon from a generation ago, and stuff it with the best actors they can get and the splashiest effects they can devise. They turn the actors into puppets and cinema into a video game. It's ghastly, but they do it on a grand scale. And then he concluded the review. Someday, real artists may come along to use some of the techniques that the Wachowskis are developing then things will get interesting. So at least he felt like there is crying for something, which a lot of the reviewers didn't even give them credit for, but he just didn't connect with it at all. And, you know, that part of that is that actors thing. And that's another criticism, just like more McDonald of the Seattle times opined. The actors seem almost lost in a gumball dispenser. The audience for the most part might feel the same way. Even Peter Travers, who's sort of a pushover, wrote, and again, this goes to the age thing, even the target audience of 10-year-olds might get Jimmy Legs sitting for a punishing 135 minutes as the Wachowskis projectile vomit their cotton candy dreams all over the big screen. It was just not okay to make ambitious movies for young adolescent people. The film was nominated for a Razzie in the worst prequel, remake, ripoff, or sequel category. But on a more positive note, this film has become a sort of minor cult hit. I, I'll, I'll stress like minor. It's not like, you know, how Office Space became a cult hit and then became a major yeah. hit or it's not Willow. Yeah, it's not it's not culty in the or, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show. There's just like a small corner of like film nerds who are like sort of. And Peter will make the argument here coming up. But, you know, sort of like, this movie is trying for things, and I'm on board. This movie is trying to shoot the shot that the entire MCU has been kind of dunking on since 2007. Sort of, yeah. It is definitely going for some of that. So It paves that ground. 
yeah, saying that this does have a positive audience score on Rotten Tomatoes at 60%. And a few critics liked it as well. Chief among them was the Dallas Morning News critic Tom Marustand, who gave the film, I think it's only A grade, calling it, quote, a movie that is giddy, gorgeously overwhelming from the cool slow motion to the Kubrick cartoons to the wormhole pyrotechnics to the kaleidoscopic bliss. So there are people out there who do respect Speed Racer. So Peter, why is everyone wrong about Speed Racer? Speed Racer, the movie is so faithful to the now absurd tone of the anime. And I think that it's a cohesive update of a an eccentric classic. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we'll dive into the defense points now. I think the first defense point you had has to do with sort of the opening of the film, the beginning yeah. exposition chunk. Totally. Something that Marvel will not do for some reason after 50 movies is have a perfect cold open montage. Marvel has failed so far in creating a cold open montage that beats you over the head with exposition quite so delicately as this one. And it's pretty strange to use the word delicate to describe Speed Racer. And also delicately beating over the head is a fun is a fun combination. <laughs> it just drops you into an action sequence and as you're enjoying this action sequence, dialogue, it rhymes the entire backstory to you. Mm-hmm. And it's delightful. The most recent Marvel movie was almost three hours of exposition, and they managed to get this done in less than 10. It was incredible. No diss on Ryan Coogler. I, I loved Black Panther 2 and the three hours of exposition that that represented. Especially getting Namor on screen finally. Crazy. But this is a different movie, and this opening montage where he's racing the past really gives you a look quickly into the whole context of why this movie exists. Yeah, so for those who have not watched yet, sort of the opening is like young speed in class. It's sort of giving you the, he's doodling, you know, race. he can't focus on anything but racing. He's like doodling racing, and then there's a fun thing where it's like his doodles sort of come to life around him, and he's racing his doodles, and like the classic theme music plays, and it's just like this little kid in his imagination world. And then it sort of goes from there into like Rex's background as a racer and speed and Rex's connection and then transitions into everybody watching speed try and break his brother's race record on this track. And yeah, and it's it's all the all of the flashbacks are part of him in the race, sort of the thoughts that are distracting him from being present the memories that are driving him forward. He's, these are all the things going through his mind as he is sort of trying to be in the moment in the same way that his brother was before. Right. And so it's about like, 
So it's not technically a cold open because the title comes up first, but it's sort of this opening chunk and it's about 17 minutes long, but it just like packs everything in. There's like flashbacks for like every character. Like, you you yeah. know, they'll pan to Trixie in the crowd and she'll have a flashback to like the first time she met Speed. And you get everybody's everybody's motivations are just sort of like highlighted in bold text. And it's so clear. It makes the rest of the movie have so much less heavy lifting to do. Right. And there's also a cool thing where they even do like ghost mode in like racing video games where you can like see Rex when speeds like coming around, you see him like racing sort of the ghost of his brother and how fast before he eventually decides, you know, to take kind of take his foot off the gas so that Rex's record can live and sort of, he can live on through that. But uh, yeah, it, it, it does very effectively. Like here's all the characters. Here's the relation to the main character. And Here's sort of the action style and colors and everything. So you kind of get a sense of if you watch the first 17 minutes of this movie and you don't like this little opening chunk and you're like, I'm out, then you should probably stay out. Yeah, this is I mean, honestly, I think this is the perfect movie to have on in the background. Like I I like to write to as much noise as possible. And this is one that is both entertaining and in its ambient qualities and in its sort of focused on qualities. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like one of the most successful live action cartoons. Right. So that's your, that's your second defense point after the, that opening segment is sort of the live action cartoon aspect of this movie. Yeah. It just really captures the freneticism of a cartoon in a, very pleasing way it was clear that i think the wachowskis like similar things to me in terms of cartoons i think Mm -hmm. that perhaps because i like speed racer i like the things that are happening (laughs) in wachowski movies Mm -hmm. and maybe that was influential on them but i also just think that there's like a really there's good writing in bold text that, you know, they're not, they're not over overly fussy when it comes to metaphor and subtext. It's all right there. Yeah. For kids. Sarcasm doesn't land on kids. Overly flowery metaphor also doesn't land on kids usually. Right. It's definitely, you know, you can't watch this movie and not think that, Oh yeah. Visual storytelling is the main thing that they're going for over anything else that like you could I did see a couple of reviews where it's like you could watch that were like negative but I think this is your positive where they're like you could watch this movie without sound and you'd basically get the same thing and that's kind of true for all the reviewers that's a negative quality but I think that is a really strong and underutilized blockbuster film strategy Mm mm-hmm so like it's kind of a hallmark of the genre. Blockbusters are clear stories with legible motivations for the characters and high stakes. Right. And also the cartooniness is just in that visual style. Like as everybody, you know, again, it's sort of the your mileage may vary. Some people hate it for this. Some people love it for this. But it's just like, oh, the color is bonkers in this movie. And it's- some of the CGI is like 
bonkers. You know, it, it, it reminds me there's sections where it's just so overwhelming. You know how there's like digital drugs where they're like, oh, this is the audio thing that makes you like <laughs> feel like you're on LSD or whatever. This feels like it's a di- visual digital drug a lot of times where oh. you're just like it's trying to make you like overwhelmed and like connecting with a different reality. You know, some some things and some of the things are it's a mix because, you know, there's things like there's a zebra tunnel that they're going through that has like zebra design. So then as they're flashing by, it looks like the zebras are running and you're like, wow, that's a really cool visual. And then other things where it's just like they might have made this in slightly the wrong CGI era, partially because they were the ones pushing things forward. But, you yeah. know, it looks very cartoony. But like when you're speeds like driving with his brother down the street and they're just like driving by all the houses it looks just so sort of like artificial in a way that like you're either on board or you're totally against like i think that stuff looks kind of crappy but if you're like in the mode of like this is a cartoon i don't care about that then you're probably going to be okay with it it's the ultimate green screen of the era oh yeah it's truly Truly, nothing's happening in front of something real. No, there's no, there's no set outside of the computer. Yeah, like Star Wars Episode One gets criticized that for that a lot, but this is like that times a thousand. This is that on purpose, not yeah. trying to be real. Right. Exactly. They, yeah, that's the thing. They're not trying for it. A lot of the cartoony stuff really works for me. Like when they get to the Casa Cristo Five Thousand, which is like this seemingly continent-spanning race where it's just like you're going across desert and they're in the mountains and it's icy and all this stuff it's like super fun there's all the different like kind of sort of classic like speed racer racing gangs like ah here's the snake gang and here's like the viking warriors and also in the montage they show how they're like the bad guys are paying off all these things and i love that like the vikings are paid off with like furs (laughs) just like ah really nice furs where everybody else is like briefcases of money right it's all it's all about the those cartoon props. Yeah. Like in the there's the mob the mob scene in the headquarters with like the tank of piranhas. Yeah, we'll get to that. I know that's one of your key <laughs> points. And then there's also just you know, when they're battling racing, they've got cars have all their different like weapons that come out. At one point, Racer X is flying over another racer and just literally he's in a car. The other racer's in a car and he punches the racer as he's flipping over him. And it's just like, that is the cartooniness I'm on board for, you know, where it's just, oh, totally that. But then there is the cartoony aspect of like, this is a tough movie for the actors in it. It's hard kind of to like match that cartoonish tone because you're a real person. Right. I think actually a lot of the cast is fully on board, but it is... It, again, it's the complication of the character where like Speed Racer is so sincere and straightforward, but then like that sort of works a little bit better in a cartoon than like Emil Hirsch. He's in, sort of intentionally stiff in this movie where it's like, you don't seem like you have a lot of emotion and you're kind of reading these lines dry in comparison to like everybody else's very cartoonish and over the top delivery, which like fits yeah. the mold of the character, but it translates worse in a live action film i honestly think that uh without susan sarandon and john goodman this is not as awesome of a movie the way that they just create an emotional route for all the other characters to to sort of branch off of 
is fabulous. So you mentioned that scene with the piranhas, and that's one of your defense points. So let's just hop into the cartoony fundus of that scene. So at one point, there's a scene where Teho is kind of held captive by these sort of English mob boss type guys in sort of this looks like a kind of swank office, which then reveals to be in the truck of a semi and Racer X kind of has this rescue seed. But within that, before Racer X shows up, there's these piranhas and I'll leave the floor to you. And the, the mobster feeds them to in like an in, intimidation tactic with a literal Flintstones drumstick. It's huge. It's it's huge. And you see bone at both sides. The bone is perfectly. It's And then there's like a hole punctured in the piranha tank and a character who looks exactly like his cartoon analog with these incredible giant sideburn chops that I think must have been CGI'd themselves. <laughs> he has to plug the hole in the tank of the with his finger and the piranhas then eat it off and he's got this like bandaged nub after that with like a little neat bow on it, which is this perfect sort of diffusion of this kind of startling violence in a children's movie. Yeah. It's really it keeps the stakes high, but it also sort of lets everybody know it's like it's okay. He's a baddie. Right. Racer X shows up like just before they're going to dip their hostage into the Prada tank and just presumably eat off his whole face. Yeah. And then one of the bullets that Racer X shoots makes that hole. And then the mob boss guy's like, you got to plug it up. And he's just like, you're just like, oh, oh, I know yeah. what's going to happen. And I am not, not on board for it. It's explicit, but it also is pleasurable. You know, it sort of has this arc to it that is both as sort of like uh, no sleight of hand, no no um, obfuscated qualities. It's all like upfront storytelling, but it is still very pleasurable to experience. Yeah, and they don't they don't show. They just show the guy like he like sticks his finger in, and they stay on this long shot and you know, show up reacting to it. They don't like, let's zoom in and watch all the like flesh get turned right. off the boat. It's There's still no, a kid's it movie. It's not gritty. Right. It's sort of like serious, but not gritty. Yeah. And that whole scene is very fun. It reminded me of the Spy Hunter video game. If you've ever played that at like a Chuck E. Cheese or whatever, yes. where you're just like in the car. Cause that's essentially, I mean, that game, that game is essentially like sort of based off Speed Racer, I think, where it's just like, oh, it's this car with all these like, you know, it's got guns and all these oil slicks and all these things. And then at certain points, like you drive into the back of a semi and it reminded me very much of like playing spy hunter and like trying to like take out all the cars on the road in order to uh, do it. But it's it's a very fun uh, scene that I think I think that one's just on YouTube that you can just find. I'll have to look that up. That's right. That sounds fun to watch. And then the other, there was another scene I think that really caught your eye that was another defense point. Oh yeah, another seventeen-minute-long montage of uh, what's the the youngest brother's name? Spridal. Spridal. That I I don't know what that is a reference to, but yeah, it never really registered that name. <laughs> That's a weird name, but um. 
him and his best friend slash stepbrother, the chimpanzee, <laughs> are going on a literal Disney ride. It's like the equivalent of the movie Jungle Cruise, but where they're just on a ride going through a factory in a car trying to sneak around. It's just absolutely wonderful. The chimpanzee actors really stole the show. There's an ancient uh, theater quote, and I can't remember the whole thing, so I'll summarize it, which is really be careful when you share the stage with an animal because you're the only one who's acting. Right. I think like in movies often it's like don't act with animals or kids. Yeah. Animals are doing a way better job because they are just fully present. But Mm -hmm. this chimpanzee is fully present in the most cohesive way to the other performances that I think of in my memory. I think it's the most pleasurable animal performance. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it is sort of that thing where again, it's this cartoony world and like chimp acting works in this cartoony world. It's actually the best. Yeah. You, there's an argument to be made that like the two chibs that play chib chib are the best actors in this movie. For sure. Hands down. <laughs> Nobody touches them because they're not acting. They're just reacting where they're, they're hitting all their marks with perfect poison training. There's a scene. I think where Spritel is like trying to like steal candy and like they're doing it. That's and like the, the chips yeah, reaction yeah, are just like, on point every single time when they cut back to Chim Chim, you're like, nailed it. It's ex- I no think notes. it's it true. Yeah, it's great acting, and it's also the editor was loving the performance and made it shine. Mm-hmm. Just as you said, the the timing's perfect. There's so much of that, like over the top. Like there's the. I, so is this is this the same scene as when they're getting the tour, or is this right after the tour? I forget. It's. I would say it's that same scene. Okay. Because yeah, the the tour that they get is so like over the top absurd. Because they're just like sort of it, again, like as you're saying, it's sort of a theme park ride. They're sort of like it's a small worldling. They're just like exactly. on this cart, and they're like going by all these windows that have all these like very absurd things. It's it's Royalton trying to like impress Speed and his family, and like totally. they're looking around, and there's like a workout room where all these people are flying around. It's the most like kind of like that crappy CGI background where you're like, what, what is like space in this world? But it's just yeah. like guys like ring hold it, like holding Olympic gymnast rings. But then like he takes like his arm off for a second and is still like <laughs> levitating at the same height. Or there's, there's like an operating room where they're like operating on a car, but yeah. there's like a dog in the operating room in like full scrubs, like hooked yeah. up to everything. And there's segways, like, to timestamp it, there's segways, like, all the scientists are on, like, segways throughout the building, and it's just, like, it is wild. On the segway note, is there, where is this uh, in proximity to the release of the first Pirates of the Caribbean? Hmm. Does this predate it, or is this, like, two years later? So, uh, just a quick search, help me out with this. So, the first Pirates of the Caribbean came out in two thousand. Three. The second one came out in 2006. The third one came out in 2007. So there were actually three Pirates of the Caribbean movies out by the time Speed Racer came out. 
it feels like a real clap back to the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, this factory montage, because it's sort of like, that's not how you do a ride. None of that stuff happens on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. <laughs> this is what the Pirates of the Caribbean ride feels like. It feels like you're stuck in a car and you're going through the whole movie. Right. You don't get to look back and be like, wait, why was there like a scuba man underwater collecting fish? And then there right. was another guy in like Arctic conditions driving what does any of that have to do with the development of new cars yeah i mean the whole thing feels like you're strapped into one of the like into the roller coaster that you're supposed (laughs) to be experiencing as a movie yeah it's it's a very weird uh sequence it's one that yeah i could see a lot of people uh you know i'm kind of i kind of struggle with it and i could see a lot of people kind of struggling with it but i get it sort of that like what's your buy-in level and Mm -hmm. uh you know if you're like this is over-the-top absurdity that, like, okay. All of this stuff, this kind of steals from something I was going to talk about later, but it's just, like, there's so much of this is absurd when then you realize, like, after he tells Speed that that all the races are fixed. (laughs) And it's just, like, why is this production so grand? And, like, why are you trying to get, like, this hot up-and-coming racer when it's just, like, it's all fixed anyway. It's just, like, I don't know. It's... It's like being like if pro wrestling, like we always have to sign like whoever won the college wrestling championship because, you know, we need the top wrestler. It's like that's not what you do. If it's all fixed, your product is the entertainment product, I guess. So like why? I guess you need younger racers so that there's like up and coming stars in the narrative that you're crafting. But like, why are you? So why do you need all the best cars if it's basically fixed anyway? You might have found a plot hole. You might have found there, a plot hole. Oh, there might be a, there might be a plot hole or two in this movie. There might, there's a huge one that I'll talk about later. But they plug them with disguised segues. They try to disguise. They try to plug all these plot holes by distracting you with a uh, a segue with a skin on it. It's all, it's all, you know, a lot of the visual thing. Again, it's like the hand waving. So pay no attention to the plot here. Look at how wild it looks. <laughs> yeah, they're like, here comes the most insane star wipe you've ever seen. Oh, there are so many wipes in this movie. This movie makes like, you think George Lucas has like a tasteful amount of wipes in like the Star Wars movie. You're like, whoa, yeah. this is. This is they, cattle, they went through and they tagged every star wipe. It's all of the Star Wars movies. And they said, let's triple that. More of that. More of that. Uh. They're like every every um, like conversation two shot has a star wipe as it goes from one perspective to the other. It's not quite that extreme if you haven't watched it, but it feels like it. <laughs> it's, it's You're right. It's not quite that extreme. It's about 3% less. 3% extreme. less. Yeah. Which, which is a true testament to like how rich all of the backgrounds are. There's in that big rally race, mm-hmm. there's so many, like the Vikings you were talking about, there are these lady racers who have the coolest costumes. Like if I could get my hands on those in, this year, I would truly corner the market looking the best. <laughs> Not even for like Halloween. You just want to walk around in those day to day. Exactly. It's the most progressive fashion. And just like everything on the periphery of this movie is as gorgeous as the point as like the 
focus of any shot. So before we get out here, I think you had one more point. And I know you mentioned earlier that this sort of has some like laying the groundwork for the MCU, but there's another film franchise, which I think you want to kind of touch on this laying the blueprint for. Yeah. At the end of that insane factory montage, they're like, you know what? We will not be buying into Royalton racing because one reason family familia. And I think (laughs) familia. And I don't think we get the fast and furious universe without seeing how there's this really old international tradition of family and cars and impossible races that have uh, international espionage and finance everything behind them. I, I think that the Fast and the Furious movies, especially now in the late stages of that saga, really get their legs from ideas that are just kind of toyed with in Speed Racer. Yeah, so for context, like, this movie comes out after the first three, after the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and uh, Tokyo Drift, but it comes out before Fast and Furious, and that's sort of about the time when the film, that film series sort of transitions into being like, Okay, we're no longer like this gritty street racing thing. We're going to be like the most <laughs> absurd, over the top action franchise. Like we're going to be, in some ways, less believable than Marvel. Yeah, we're not stealing DVD players anymore. We are <laughs> the pawns of Mister Nobody, the impossible CIA representative. <laughs> and especially, yeah, coming coming on the tail of Tokyo Drift, it feels really cohesive to just say that this is that all the Fast and Furious movies are a distant prequel series to the one shot <laughs> of Speed Racer. I also love that they didn't make this movie with the sequels in mind. They were like, nope, we got it all out. We don't need another movie. We got it all out. Yeah, it's not. Obviously, they wouldn't have made a sequel because it did do well at the box office. But it's also not a movie that's like set up for a sequel. It's not open-ended. Yeah. You get a lot of the things... To get into now spoiler talk, so if you want to watch the movie before you get to this, go for it. Pause. But, you know, they reveal the whole Racer X story where it's like, oh, Racer X is sort of this rival. And then it's like, wait, are you really my brother? You drive just like my brother. And then he takes off his helmet and no, it's Matthew Fox. Hell yeah. That's not (laughs) his brother. And then he's like, ah, you're not my brother. And then at the very end, they're like after speed wins the whole race. Whoa. Who saw that coming? Matthew Fox racer X is like up in the like press box or whatever, watching luxury box, watching all this and inspector detectors. Like, do you ever regret it? And people are like, you know, if you're watching, you're like regret what? And then it shows like this cutback where it's like, actually he faked his own death and had like extreme plastic surgery and still hasn't told him. And it's like this reveal after the reveal, like psych yeah. out. It's just like, well, if you were trying to set up for a series, that would have been like movie number two totally. or, it's you know, so rare. It's so rare to have big, big blockbuster closure. Mm-hmm. It's also funny because that's so tacked out at the end. Like, it's almost like a burst at the very end after like the movies. You think the movie's over. Actually, here's this huge reveal. It's like it's like if Darth Vader said, like, 
I'm your father, like, after Luke had escaped and was back on, like, the Millennium Falcon and, like, headed to, like, save Han. It's like, oh, whoa. It it wasn't in the run of play of the movie, so. um, Yeah, totally. But, yeah, I mean, it does have that. It still worked. I don't know. I think it's, like, a legitimate, you know, closure beat. Mm -hmm. I think it, it gives some life to what could have been sort of a an endorphin shortage mm-hmm. and as always it comes back to familia. familia familia awesome so i think those are the defense points for speed racer i'm still not sure i would recommend this to people but it would be it depends on your taste of like how much do you want that visual candy if you're looking for yeah. hard acting and like you know something serious this isn't your movie but if you're it's it's very much one that I think if you're in the mood for, you yeah. can very much enjoy it. But also, I understand if people aren't in the mood for it, like it, yeah, especially it, like coming off the Matrix. If you were expecting like Speed Racer, but done as the Matrix, this is not that movie. This is no. Speed Racer done as the most over the top CGI movie that you could do at the time. Yeah, if you're looking for lines like. It's what Inspector Detector suspected. This is the perfect movie for you. <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, there's some line readings that are whew, stiff. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, before we hop out of here, let's get to some of the extra stuff in the junk drawer. Do you have any junk drawer thoughts that you'd want to share? No, I, I left it all in the field today. You left it all in the field? I have plenty of junk drawer thoughts. <laughs> so Do it, a few it. things. Like, it is kind of weird tried to figure out exactly the age gap between mom and pops and all the other speed family. Oh, it is especially <laughs> strange to ask uh, me to believe that Christina Ricci and Emil Hirsch are compatible age. Oh, that, that is another one of my notes. Christina Ricci here. It, this is when she was 28. She's playing 18. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, and, she, and obviously that happens with uh, male actors a lot too. Right. I'm not. I'm not trying no, to condemn I, her. No, yeah, we're it. we're not like she's busting genius. on Christina Ricci. She is, she's and she great looks great. In this movie. She looks great. She's a lot of fun in this she's movie. One of the all-time hotties. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. It's just like, she's also. It's like that 90210 thing where you're like, okay, so she's 18. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess we have to. I guess if you're going to make me believe, I'll jump over all these other fences, I will say Christina Ricci is 18 in this movie. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've gone a long way <laughs> in yeah. this world. That's not making me back out. We also, I mean, on that tangent, in the flashbacks, like young Christina Ricci, young Trixie definitely has an Australian accent for some reason. <laughs> some of the characters just randomly have like Australian or different accents. It's sort of like a hodgepodge where you're not quite sure. What's going on? Also, in the flashbacks, in Trixie's flashback specifically, the a kid drops like a hard R, saying the uh, word that ends in A R D, just like yes, yes, and it's just like again, like now, updated now, you're like, wow, this is a kids movie, and they're just doing that. Okay, <laughs> sure, they should bleep it. It would be great if they could just retroactively bleep that. Yeah. It is funny to me just that, like, apparently, again, this does come after Tokyo Drift, and it, it seems like the future of racing is all drifting. Like, this, the races are, like, 95% drifting, it feels like. They drift in, like, <laughs> 1080. Like full speed around gravity is somewhat in play in these movies. Yeah. So that's one. The Spritel, the actor that plays Spritel, 
is like the most old looking kid. Like I, yeah, the opposite like of Christina guy. Ricci. He looks like a 50 year old, like Bostonian cop, but like, he's just like a small really little nice. kid. But like, and he plays it like one too. Yeah, he's, he's sort of like gruff. Like, Look and, here, see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does take. I feel like it does. It's funny because that front segment is so condensed to the seventeen minutes. But then I feel like it sort of takes a while to get you to like the actual racing that matters. Like I don't think that like the Casa Cristo doesn't happen to like fifty five minutes in. So I think right. some of the criticism of like, you know it dragging a little bit is mainly that section that like in between sort of things. Yeah. And we're just saying it's great. I'm not saying it's perfect. Oh yeah. No, we're, we're, we're again, this is drug tour. I'm just getting out like things that stuck yeah. out. I'm not I saying, don't, I don't right. think anything that's perfect would, you know, be without fly anyway. Right. Exactly. Continue. Sorry. No worries. The biggest plot hole of this movie is for some reason before they get to the final race, they have to build a new car because they don't have a car. But literally the scene before it was like the the Racer X like fake reveal where Speed is driving the Mach 5 and like Racer X with Racer X. And then they like come back and they're like, we don't have a car. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. It's very weird. That must have been a like a fantasy. <laughs> I feel like there was like a missing scene or something in between there. Why they don't have a car or like. That reveal scene was supposed to happen earlier, or they moved it around. Yeah, we're or still something. waiting on the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, it is funny that like at the end, basically, Speed gets the Force, and it's sort of like it's very much like the Death Star Trench Run, where it's like Luke, like turn off your targeting computer, like rely on your instincts, and then I'm just going to like speed through everybody else as soon as I like restart the car by going to fifth gear or whatever. Right. It gets very um, magical at the at that part. And um, one more fun thing is that apparently originally the Wachowskis offered the role of Racer X to Keanu Reeves. Oh, which would have been very fun, but would have been more fun. It would have been Not more fun. Fox is a drag. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, a lot of the actors here are a drag. Um, Emil Hirsch. Yeah. Not a great guy. Uh, Real big drag. <laughs> Matthew Fox. Not a great guy. Um, we are not endorsing them in any way. And yeah. luckily this film does not rely on their acting. You can just imagine it's any generic white guys and, uh, basically holds up the same. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't think they need to be white necessarily either. No, I mean, it's just, they, I'm just saying they're generic white guys. And Those guys are white guys. That's true. Yes. Factually. All right. <laughs> so before we get out of here, we'll hit up some plugs. Is there anything you want to plug peter yeah i want to i want to plug the theme song to this show it's a good theme song oh thank you uh weird out shout plug, out i want to plug dude york it's the holidays we have a holiday album dude york that, has an awesome holiday album i, I quite recommend it underrated uh what is is it what's it called for the half time half time for the holidays i'm like it's not home for the holidays but no. it is one that I throw on, like, I still throw on, like, every year in, like, my Christmas playlist. It's got some great yeah. songs, some songs that are clearly about Thanksgiving, and then, yeah. <laughs> but it's transmuted into one. Christmas. Uh, there's some We've got one about Hollywood one Holidays. Really, Hollywood Holidays, one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I'm so proud of that. Uh, nobody ever talks about it. Makes me, I'm glad we're talking about it now. <laughs> yeah. I talk about the Sparks, going to see the Sparks. <laughs> 
Yep. Which are the Los Angeles uh, WNBA team, also highly underrated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The WNBA in general, highly underrated. Go Storm. Go Storm. (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) Awesome. Anything else? Uh, You have your solo music too, right? Them. Yeah, it's um, under Peter Richards on Spotify and Bandcamp. More of it coming out soon. I've got a bunch of songs recorded, probably three or four albums worth. I just need help sequencing it. Reach out to me if you can help. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I'll list the All stuff, right, put them in order. I'll send you a big zip. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of stuff. You can read my stuff over at the Inlander and listen to more podcasts over here. Do that do that there's old Seth, ones. thank you thank for you. having me yeah well thank you for coming on again peter thank you for defending the honor of speed racer and the wachowskis once again it's uh eventually we'll get like uh, all the wachowski movies in the everyone is wrong canon but that's right well not all you of want them. me to come back and talk about just their parts of cloud atlas <laughs> yeah Cloud Atlas has yet to be taken. You can go back and listen to Matrix sequels episode as well as the Jupiter Ascending episode. Maybe maybe more to come. We 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 haven't done the fourth Matrix though. That That's that right. got middling. I don't know. It wasn't. It was hated in sub circles, but also I think a lot of people liked it. So it's a little yeah, bit harder think... to uh, make a case for being an episode than the two and three. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hopefully they'll make a staggering volume of more movies. Mm-hmm. They've done a lot of TV stuff here and there and things like that. Truly. But, so check out any of that if you want to. Thanks for coming on, Peter. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. <laughs>